0: You're listening to Still Learning, a podcast all about learning styles and stories where people describe pivotal learning moments in their lives, how they came to understand their own learning style or process, and what they are curious about or still learning today. My name is Katie. In this episode, I spoke with Chelsea Johnson, a sociologist and user experience researcher. Chelsea is also one of the authors of the amazing book Intersection Allies, which aims to explain intersectionality and the many overlapping aspects of identity to children, but is also really a book about identity for everyone. Chelsea shares about her learning experiences growing up and through graduate school and how she's discovered and embraced different parts of her identity through those experiences. At one point she mentions how thinking collaboratively and building ideas together is one of her favorite ways of connecting. She describes a garden where one person plants one seed here and another somewhere else and flowers begin to bloom. And talking with Chelsea felt like that for me, a place of potential for learning and growing and asking questions about both who we are individually and in community. We recorded this conversation a few months ago now and in the way that time seems to bend, especially in the realm of COVID, it's a pleasure to listen back to where we were then and how our personal learning process, processes and questions continue to evolve. So here's my
1: conversation with Chelsea Johnson. I grew up outside Chicago, about 30 minutes outside of the city, in a town called Lyle, um, and went to, they had really, really incredible public schools, which is why my parents um, moved us there. Um, so the value of education and what education could provide, like the sorts of opportunities that it could open up was so top of mind for my parents, um, who both came from you know like working class backgrounds in Detroit and in Gary, Indiana, and were really able to bring us to that place through education. Mm -hmm. Um, But the trade-off of that was that I was often the only black kid in my classrooms. Um, And so there was all, there was like the the learning that happened in school, Mm -hmm. um, like the really concerted (laughs) like learning these concepts and all of that. And then there was the learning that happened outside of school Um, Where I would be, you know, like at NAACP programming or like Urban League programming, or we would drive, you know, to a few towns over to go to a black church, Um, and so there was like that spiritual learning, but also that social learning that comes with like being in a in a black community. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, these dual, um, just like yeah, a duality of my weekends looked different than my friends, but in a really concerted way from my parents and there were moments where my mom um and i so appreciate this now like realizing what she was doing when she was doing it but not understanding that as a kid there were these concerted moments of hers where she would try and bridge the two Mm -hmm. um and so two examples come to mind (laughs) one um she used to do these kwanzaa demonstrations and kwanzaa is kind of like a made-up holiday as a way of like reconnecting with culture that was stolen from us in the Middle Passage and all of that. So it's, it's like, very few people are, like, you know, it's not an intergenerational kind of holiday, but it is an effort to sort of bring, like, bring missing culture to the fore and, like, establish new traditions in the Black American context. So anyway, she would do these Kwanzaa demonstrations at schools and at my school, um, which was a way of, like, bringing my classmates into... You know some sort of like interaction um with culture which was totally absent from um my elementary school middle school or high school curriculum um so there was that and then there's also at my elementary school my mom created this event called international potluck dinner and it was something that would happen every year just from her own brute force (laughs) where people would bring in things that they did at home um so whether it was like you know the food or the cuisine that you ate at home or if there's like a craft or sort of art that you did at home or um like chinese yo-yos and like all the things that you know people did outside of school like me i think it was like her way of showing like other people are doing this and you just don't see it right. and and they also just don't see it for you um so it really like exposed to me that like everybody has all of these identities that we just don't talk about and we just don't see. Um, and so yeah, it was something my mom would do every year from when my brothers were in the elementary school all the way until I moved from fifth to sixth grade and moved on to middle school. And, and that event ended when we left the school. Um, so it was, it was, my mom did so, so much um, to sort of supplement the sort of education that I was receiving that she knew would open the door to, you know, competitive college and then like, you know, hopefully the sort of economic uplift that, um, she hoped to be part of like our family trajectory. So, yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm>
0: so aware. <laughs> yeah, she is. Oh, she amazing. is. Spring. That's so cool. What was that like for you? You know, kind of at the Kwanzaa demonstrations and the international potlucks at school?
1: Um, I thought it was super fun. Like it was like, I mean, really just like a bridge between my classmates and I, um, new things to talk about. And I wouldn't say that like, I I think it was probably more impactful to people personally than to the school culture. Um, but it did open my eyes to realizing that, like, you know, yes, I am probably the most visibly different person in this space, um, but there are differences that you don't see. And so making those visible sort of helped me, I think, cope with, um, being really hyper visible in other ways.
0: Mm, Yeah. That's so interesting. That's really cool yeah we had some have something called international day at the school I, it's just always interesting to me how like what the efforts of either the curriculum or the families how they come together to create these spaces at school in ways that sometimes feel really inclusive and celebratory and then sometimes can also go off the rails in other directions but yeah i'm another, sure <laughs>
1: <laughs> we can have a whole
0: conversation about my experiences with International Day, but <laughs> um, so yeah. And then I'd love to know, kind of as a student, like how do you, how would you describe yourself as a learner within in school? Because I know you've gone on since elementary school and those um, earlier years to have a career with academics as a large part of it, and to pursue mm-hmm. a PhD and um, really study sociology and now user research and such what sounds like such a cool and meaningful way
1: so um what how would you describe
0: yourself as a learner
1: so i'd say when i was younger like k through 12 actually like my whole public school experience mm-hmm. was very much about learning to perform well
0: mm-hmm. like
1: college was always like on the other end of things and like sort of everything kind of led to another maybe state. It all just kind of felt like a waterfall of like, I need to do well on these tests to do well on more tests, to be able to like, you know, qualify for like, I don't know, gifted programs and stuff like that. So it it felt like a lot of memorization. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think probably that plus like, also growing up in like a really conservative Christian background where there's clear right and wrong. I think I learned things in a really binary way. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I went to college at Spelman, which is um, a historically black college for women in Atlanta. So up until then, I'd never had a teacher who wasn't white. Um, my whole childhood experience. So Spelman was like one being able to learn in a classroom, like, from people who looked like me, which was, like, a totally new experience for me. But also, um, Spellman was about teaching us that everything that we learned that was treated as neutral was actually not neutral. Mm -hmm. And that facts are created by people and their perspectives or who's telling that story and, like, connecting learning and knowledge to politics, to history, um, and telling history from a different perspective. So I sort of, I, that was when I learned to, to be a critical thinker. Mm-hmm. That's something I wish I learned a lot earlier. Um, but I also know that I wouldn't have gotten there, like just because of the way that our systems are set up, like how, I don't know. I'm hoping that like education is different now, I guess. And that like those two things, um, can be part of the process earlier
0: yeah i'm hopeful yeah really. i'm
1: hopeful <laughs> I,
0: I, I don't know how we yeah like we're in it, and we at least have the first step engaged which is like more awareness yeah
1: around.
0: i remember yeah realizing like whoa history is not this is not fact like this is all <laughs> shaped in the perspective and there's so much left out and yeah in particular social studies and the way that has uh, yeah so much to say there
1: <laughs> I would love to learn how it's changing I actually so I social studies was my least favorite subject and now I'm a sociologist so that's like crazy for me to look back on but mm-hmm. what I struggled with so I've always been better with like concepts mm-hmm. um I also have found out that I learned best through processing in conversation with other people yes um that is something i was just talking to my fiance we were on a long road trip last weekend from seattle and like realized that that's also our love language is just like thinking together um (laughs) so i know that about myself now as a kid really struggled with social studies because it was often a lot of like learning dates yeah um and memorization
0: no content it's like what does that even we have like some mental timeline that we're plugging that into like it doesn't there's no foundation for
1: that there's there's so i i remember so little from social studies but i tried so hard (laughs) to memorize things um and that was always a huge struggle for me i liked it the least um and then when i got to college and i realized that like there's a perspective there. Like sociology as a discipline is about theorizing, trying to understand why people are doing what they're doing, um, like why, how societies function, the sort of patterns behind systems, the, that type of thinking, I find really, really fun
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and fascinating. And then once you go to grad school, uh, you are creating that knowledge. Like that's what you're there to do. You're researching and then you're making sense of the information that's coming into you. And then you're theorizing of like how these things come to be or come together or how that might impact the future. So all of that like conceptual abstract thinking, I love so, so much. And I realize that that's what, you know, when things trickle down to what a third grade textbook looks like, All of that like perspective and theory and like conceptual thinking is like totally gone (laughs) um to be like here's the thing that you need to know in order to be i don't know i don't even know what like what i don't know what the other side of that goal is but i know that i for one missed it
0: (laughs) you're so right and it's making me think it's the the effort to distill it down is like it's more about thinking like this is what you need to know versus how Mm -hmm. to think
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and how to engage with something and ask questions and yeah I mean like I use like you know nerdy hand symbols in my class (laughs) around like we're like building on each other's ideas you know
1: yeah yeah that's that's so
0: cool discourse like that is the that's the goal to not have the answer but to ask the questions Mm -hmm. and to you know, re revoice what someone else is saying and then add on to it and build knowledge together.
1: When, what sociology is, like what's different between like social studies and sociology mm-hmm. is connecting history to biography. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I really wish I learned as a kid, like as I was reading these facts, um, was like, where do I fit into that? Like where does my family fit into these facts mm-hmm. or into this story? And then how does that like, bring me to where I am today? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what sociology does or the soci- sociological perspective. C. Wright Mills, who's like a, like a grandfather of sociology, he calls it the sociological imagination, connecting history to biography. Um, and so it's been really, really fun um, with my children's book uh which is like I want to ask you about that (laughs) yeah yeah it's like a it's like a practice of like doing social theory with kids um and it's been really interesting so to see at least in like the bounds of that project um the really beautiful conversations that happen Intersection Allies, We Make Room for All, is a children's book about intersectionality, which sounds like a really big word. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But basically, it means that um, we are an intersection of all of our different identities. So we're not just our race on Monday, our gender on Tuesday, um, our culture on Wednesday, but we're all of those things at the same time. And in fact, they come together to influence our experiences. Um, And so... That is something that I didn't learn in K through 12 education, part of my college experience um, at Spelman. Um, And so it it became like a really central part of my research, Um, my research in grad school, which was about beauty politics and race. And so how like what's considered beautiful or professional or appropriate Um, is both about race and about gender and about class in response to the social systems in our world um, and who has what and um, histories of colonization and slavery. And so it was a a project of interviewing women across the African diaspora who live in formerly colonized contexts, the US, South Africa, Brazil, um, and how they experience their bodies. Mm-hmm. So intersectionality was hugely important to me. It's sort of this like um, this academic mm-hmm. level, um, but and and so is so the book is is co-written with two of my best friends um, who also went to grad school with me, Latoya Council and Carolyn Choi, and they were also using intersectionality to talk about really different things. Mm-hmm. So Carolyn was talking about educational migration. Um, and gender and race. And as people move from like one, um, cultural and geographical context to another, how their identities play a part in how those journeys take place. And then Latoya was doing, a, uh, she's writing a dissertation on, um, black middle-class families and caregiving, mm. um, sort of like the negotiations between like household labor and like financial income and all of that stuff. Wow. Um, so and thinking about, like, learning together, like, my conversations with them about their projects and my projects and our experiences just as people um, are some of the most, like, fruitful conversations. And also, like, how we love together. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, to rewind, the book sort of came to be, um, we were... This was 2017, so right after, you know, another divisive election and, like, a really heated political moment. Um, Me Too was at its height. Black Lives Matter it was, it was a couple years into that and, um, you know, not letting up. And so we were marching at the Women's mm-hmm. March um, in L.A., where we all went to school at the University of Southern California. And um, we just noticed that, like, we were three people of color, you know, in a sea of a lot of people that didn't look like us. And so the ways that um, women's demands were shaped or sort of like talked about kind of reflected the demographics of the group um, or like, you know, who was taking up most space. Yeah. So thinking about like equal pay or being able to work and you know, women of color have always worked. And so just different experiences of what it meant to be a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were thinking, you know, how, beautiful and helpful would it be to bridge this sort of academic concept um, into our activist spaces, but also um, into just like regular conversations with people who are like just trying to grapple with all of these different things coming Mm -hmm. at us all at one time. And so thinking back on our own learning experiences um, in elementary school, middle school, and realizing like how powerful would it have been to to be thinking in this way as kids, but also knowing that when you write for kids, you're forced to break down language um, and to really be clear about what Mm -hmm. you mean. Um, And that's a really great way of just talking to adults about new things too. So we found that like a lot of our conversations are with... (laughs) are with adults who, you know, who also didn't learn this stuff in school. And it, it's a, it was a really unique environment to go to a historically Black college for women. I had to go there to learn it. Most people are not going to have those um, educational experiences. So it's a book for kids, but it's also a book for adults. Um, all of the characters are based on sociological research. So it's, it's a bridge between, like, the work we were doing during the day, a way that we sort of procrastinated from dissertation writing to be honest. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's how the book came to
0: I really agree and echo what you're saying about having to or the the task and the opportunity really of figuring out what your message is by writing it with the, you know, four children as the audience, but it's like it's like when I learn about, I mean, it reminds me of, you know, when I learn about strategies for helping different types of learners and kids who mm-hmm. have different learning abilities. I took a course this summer about teaching kids with dyslexia, and it's like all the strategies that best support someone who's dyslexic support all readers, you know. And it's yeah. like, oh yeah. right, these practices, they they are a wonderful entryway into learning together for everyone and empathy building and communication. So yeah. Um
1: Yeah, that's so true. Like I think when you when you focus on accessibility, yeah. <laughs> then you know, you you also Actually, so our mutual friend, David Hansen, like he is, he's like a huge accessibility advocate for our yeah. day job and user experience research. And that's something he points out all of the time. Um, like when you, when you are designing for someone who, who like may not be able to, to, to do things in, in the normative way, you are also designing for people who might be in that situation temporarily. Um, we're also, like, giving a lot more thought and consideration to how people actually, like, navigate through tasks and problems. Um, and I think it definitely translates to, um, like, the way that we teach, too. Like, the way that we pass knowledge along.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, what has the experience been like, I mean, since the book came out last year, I think?
1: Yeah, the book came out... Um, last year it's so crazy that it's been wow. a year so so much has happened yeah in yeah <laughs> I'm curious like yeah
0: what how what it's been for you like even processing with your co-authors and with your friends and family yeah. like you put this out and now the world that it's a part of um what have some of the learnings been or the reactions been like and what is it making you think
1: yeah so um so it's interesting. When we put the book out, we expected it to be attractive to a really niche audience of people who were interested in feminism or who were interested in culture. Um, and so, like, that's who who the audience that um, really responded to it first, um, people who were looking mm-hmm. for it. Um, and so we we had a really interesting time on the book tour so we'd be in like feminist bookstores but also like teachers who were really seeking to to like introduce these concepts to their kids um also some like um companies who were thinking about diversity and inclusion Mm. um some like waldorf conferences with teachers that are like actively thinking about these sorts of things and having conversations around that so the the book was really really well received but also with kids Mm -hmm. um Who I think for the first time, in the same way that like International Potluck Dinner sort of did that for me. It was like, here's an entryway into talking about what my life looks like outside of the context of this classroom. Um, And so we'd have kids, you know, who talked about like, yeah, I translate for my parents. Um, And like, I'll have to go to the doctor and I'm learning so much more about my mom's health and her Mm. body than like, you know, People expect another, like a uh, an eight year old, to know because you're doing this work of of translating um, and being a bridge for your family. Yeah. And so those those experiences that kids have every single day—they're fin- finally able to talk to um, and really relate with their their friends in a new way. So that was really beautiful. I think something that was also really um, interesting for us. So we we would get a lot of adults saying. Why are there no boys in the book? Mm. Like how do you expect boys to learn like to relate to um to the topics of the book um, if there are no boys? And so That's so interesting. <laughs> so we received that. Yeah, so like we we had like a very, you know, um For us, it was really purposeful because oftentimes we read books that didn't have characters that looked like us. And we still learned, right? So we were like, you know, (laughs) it'll be helpful for boys to see um, protagonists that are not boys. Because not all of the characters are girls. They're just not all Mm -hmm. boys. Um, And so, like, we had sort of that orientation to it. What we found with kids, though, is that no kids brought that up. And in fact, because the book is about how we are not just our gender, but we are also all of these other things, our immigration histories, our uh, cultures, our race, um, that like boys were able to relate across difference. Mm. And like that was the most powerful um, part of that. And it is actually the lesson of intersectionality. So that was the, the most like affirming part, I think, of the book tour. Wow. That's fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) such a good point. And I mean, I, I teach all girls and in my classroom, I I mean, that's, I didn't even think about that, but it, it comes up. So much. I mean, I was trying to think back to when we read it, and I think I shared with you my students were just like, obsessed with it. It's also just such a beautiful book, so they <laughs> loved just you know looking at it and being kind of immersed in all the illustrations and the colors. Um, but I, I've also really found that. I mean, I had a lot of reservations about teaching only girls and like what single sex education means, and this also is a mm-hmm. part of a bigger conversation, but. More and more, what yeah. I found was they're just kids. <laughs> and mm-hmm. these, these binary, these differences, they really aren't meaningful. And in fact, like exposing all the spectrum and the way of thinking about gender as a fluid idea. And it, it, it's just, it, it's like, you can feel kids just kind of, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. You know, they yes, have freedom yeah. to take up space. And to your point in the book, like we're making space for all and, and really encouraging that. Um, as an important part of how to be a friend and an ally to each other at this age is, I think, so powerful.
1: It is. And, and I have to say, so I like, I'm a product of a women's college. Mm. So I didn't have that experience younger in my life, but, and I, and I had reservations going to a women's college. I'm like, what is that going to be like? Especially because I never had that experience But um, it was a really beautiful thing to have, to be in an environment where Vin didn't take up disproportionate space. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized the difference um, really, really quickly. So I I learned, I gained a lot of confidence in those four years in my ideas. And then when I went on to grad school, um, where, you know, I I was... um, I think I was the only Black PhD student in the s- social sciences for my first three years. There hadn't been a Black grad student in the program wow. for a decade wow. um, when I entered. And that was a little intimidating also because I went straight from undergrad to a PhD program. So I was really young, too, at the time. And so I remember being like, oh, like, am I prepared for this? And like, you know, am I representing all of the people who aren't mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um but because I had that that women's college and HBCU experience where I was practiced at um interjecting my point of view and like um just like feeling empowered to say how I mm-hmm. felt. And I could draw on the memory of that in this new environment and mm-hmm. that was like so so helpful to me and I don't know if I didn't have those four years if I would have felt um just like internally prepared to to navigate what that was like. Yeah. So also for that a makes a lot of women's schools. Until like true, you know, equality and equity actually happens, I think there's gonna be a place for spaces like that.
0: <laughs> if you were to write another book <laughs> either for children yeah. or not like where is there anything that's really piquing your interest and making you excited and passionate um
1: right yeah. now yeah so right now well i guess i'll say we're doing a lot more work on the book right now um because the world changed yes. in and i saw your teaching guide which is
0: fabulous i've just started to kind of explore oh. it and yeah i think some of the sentence starters and the personal connections that you're helping create with that are awesome
1: thank you yeah like we we didn't expect to put that out um we just really didn't expect like everything that happened in the world to have happened in the world so the book definitely like it, it garnered new attention I'd say like in the last three months with people who are now seeking who who it might not have been part of their um just their like lens of interest or Mm -hmm. like um attention and it newly is so that's been a really interesting thing to see like the the audience of the book has grown Mm -hmm. um and so engaging with that in new ways but some of the things that i'm learning i guess aside from well so thinking about like where intersectionality is going and the and what our intention had been with for it before, um, protests restarted and COVID happened. Um, we are in the midst of writing a book about mm. families, um, and so like sort of applying intersectional intersectionality to families and like how family forms are diverse. So that's something that's still happening for us and especially because Latoya is a family Mm -hmm. scholar um and then we also had planned for a book about bodies so those are still Mm. happening too um but one thing I'm learning a lot about uh, (laughs) Yeah. thank you one thing I'm learning a lot about now um so I fully anticipated to to go into academia and be a professor and then I took a really unexpected career path into tech and doing user experience research, um, partly for the same reason I wrote the book. Like I didn't want my work to live in an academic journal that like very few people read unless they're doing work that's so close to mine. And so it was really just out of a drive of, for us to make a bigger mm-hmm. impact. And I sort of, uh, that also brought to me me to user experience research. So. Now, the research or the insights or the the findings or frameworks that I'm coming up with get passed on to designers and engineers and product managers who make decisions based on that or with that in mind um, and so I work in trust now hmm. uh, so thinking about things like um, being safe online and like harassment like what that looks like and what like authenticity means and also things like privacy. Um, And so what a fascinating time to be doing that. It's such a fascinating time. I'm learning every single day. I was
0: thinking about that with like Um, researcher as a job too. Like that is like your job is to learn in a way. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) How cool. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it is so cool. It's so cool. Like, um, and because it's collaborative yeah. so I'm like working with all these partners and that's like the best way for me to learn is like learning from other people and talking it out and like you know then it like in my mind I just see like flowers blooming <laughs> of like you know this person's watering this person's got new seeds and all that like that's how I experience mm-hmm. that so it's really fun for me um so learning a ton about like technology which I never thought I was interested in and actually I have to like it's an effort for me to think in that way or um like engage in those terms it's like a whole new Mm -hmm. whole new domain for me um and so I'm learning a ton about that around like privacy law and like what cookies do and like how people actually make decisions (laughs) around like how we all experience the internet which right now in a COVID situation is like a huge part of everything we're doing and so I had this idea like what if I wrote a children's book about that um in the same way that like intersection allies is a book for kids but also for adults um and a concept that like can be helpful to everyone um I think adults also most of us, like me included, and this is why the learning curve is so steep for me, don't understand like the decisions we have and sometimes don't have, but could actually advocate for um, around the internet and our privacy. And I was like, hmm, what if I wrote a book that was like the cookies you don't uh. <laughs> About like how- That's so awesome. <laughs> you know, like how we can be like knowledgeable about like the, the technology that we're interacting with and also how we can think about advocating for ourselves or just being informed enough to make decisions in our best interest. So I need to learn a lot more to be able to write that book. <laughs> so I'm very much in the learning That's- stage right now. But I've also been really curious though, so, like since you work with kids and so this is like a bigger proportion of their lives than it is for right. us. Like, like, do you see changes in the way that your students are relating to one another or to you um with this being such a big part of their I don't know developmental
0: I know it's such a good question I mean I was I've been thinking a lot I've been reflecting a lot back on my experience of third grade and what I remember too um in elementary school and yeah I think it's it's also it's hard It's a good question and it's hard to really know because once we transitioned to being virtual um, in the spring, Mm -hmm. you know, just figuring out the language of how to teach on Zoom and still create community online has, I think, just it's mediated all of this in this way where, you you know, I used to be able to, for instance, when my students would come in the classroom, like they would either like shake my hand or give me a hug or a high five or like do a dance move or something. Mm-hmm. And just from that interaction, I could just get such a read on like, where are you? What's going on? How are you doing? And mm-hmm. it's so much harder to do that over the computer. So, I mean, and my relationship to them is one level, but I think you're asking about how they relate to each other too. Yeah. I think I'm both saddened for them in terms of like sad about the lack of social interaction and also incredibly amazed by how resilient they are. I know that's like a loaded word to say like, oh, kids are just resilient. They'll be fine. But I think that it was kind of like when in June, when we were talking more about protests and police violence and George Floyd and like really bringing up this stuff in, in the classroom, it was, I was amazed by how much they knew by how much they wanted to talk mm. about it, you know, and it's like oh, yeah. by how big their feelings are. It's like, yeah, we need to make space for this every day. That's when the opportunities for real connection really do come up with the kids too. So yeah, I think it's both. And it's both like, yeah, it sucks. And a lot of them are using words like I'm really anxious and mm. I, you know, I'm really nervous about coronavirus and my mom works in healthcare or my dad, you know, his store was looted. Like that was something that happened the last week of school. And I was like, whoa. Um, And they're also, you know, (laughs) to be able to like laugh and just have kid moments that weren't really, um, where we weren't thinking about the pandemic were also really uplifting and motivating to see like, they were just also kind of they're also third graders and (laughs) you know, like doing like a dance on zoom is still fun. (laughs) Yeah. So Yeah. I don't know. I'm still learning a lot about that
1: myself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so interested in what you're going to learn.